If you find yourself getting lost in your thinking, and maybe overthinking, and you're in search of a new way of making decisions that feels more in flow, more instinctive, more in tune with what you really need, then maybe it's time to listen to your body and this podcast. On this episode of the Friday Fireside, we're joined by Ruth Polden. She's a Feldenkrais practitioner, yoga teacher, yoga birth senior tutor, and a former dancer and choreographer. She spent a lot of time being in her body. And on this episode, she shares with us her thoughts, her understanding of what it means to tune in to what our body's telling us and turn down the volume of our thoughts. We cover all sorts of topics, including lovemaking and childbirth, and how these acts don't actually need us to think. They just need us to let our bodies take over. So if you're a habitual overthinker, I hope you find this episode helpful and you find it points you to a different way of making decisions. Enjoy. I grew up in a family where my mother was an obstetric physiotherapist and her passion was to support pregnant people and to accompany them on their journey. She used to work at the Hammersmith Hospital. And we grew up hearing about birth. And we grew up hearing about our physicality and and bodies and bits. And it was just normal for us. And the reason I start from that point is because I was always very interested and involved in moving and the body and expression through movement that was something that always uh, you know lit me up from a very young age even from about four or five and I did have this big dream to be a ballerina and so there was that going on alongside my mother and what she was bringing home and how we grew up uh, just thinking about bodies and ourselves and normality of the different uh, milestones of living a life in a body. I suppose I, I was soaking that in unconsciously. And I did actually go on to dance and perform, but not as a classical dancer. I was told in no uncertain terms at the age of 13 that my body was completely the wrong sort of body. It was the wrong sort of aesthetic. So that was a bit of a blow and that was very challenging. But I did go on to perform and I had this very strong belief that to achieve, to attain, to find and and, and meet perfection and to be seen and noticed in my career meant really pushing hard and efforting and no gain without any pain and uh, never feeling that you're quite there and you've quite done it because there's always more to do. So it was quite a uh, a harsh learning journey. And it was also very wonderful because being up on and performing was so fulfilling on so many other levels. But through them becoming injured quite a lot because of how we were training and uh, our belief at the time of what we needed to be doing, I was injured quite a lot. And through being injured, uh, I actually discovered 
some different options, different possibilities, different ways of approaching uh, and honoring my physical <laughs> self and my body. And so there was uh, some Pilates, there was Alexander technique, there was body mind centering, and there was Feldenkrais that I touched on years and years ago when I was training, and yoga. And all of that together started me on a journey of thinking, okay, I'm getting less interested now in thinking of what do people want me to do? Tell me what you need me to do as a dancer, and I will replicate it with my body. And I started to get more interested in actually where movement was coming from. And that meant starting to go inwards a little bit more, connecting a little bit more into my, my, my feeling body, my emotional body. And that was also another layer of growing and growth. And then full circle, coming back to my mother, I also, uh, when I was pregnant with my first child, my, my daughter, I got very, very interested in the, the journey of pregnancy and birth and, you know, from my own experience. So birth is very much a, a metaphor for me and I've and I, and I worked for many years supporting people both in pregnancy, birth and after. But it is very much a metaphor for me that I take forward and I use in my work whether it's working with, you know, male, female, doesn't really matter because we're always growing something in ourselves and we're always birthing something in ourselves or about ourselves. And a lot of that means allowing for this new layer or whatever it is that's coming into being uh, to emerge. So the... Me of today, my medium of work is through movement. But movement, of course, is not, and we're going to be looking at this, it's not separate to any other facets of who we are. But it's a door in, it's a way in. And I really love to support people to come more, I say, fully forward into themselves as who they are and in a way that they feel uh, more at home in themselves. And that could be because they feel more comfortable in less pain. Uh, it could mean that they feel less uh, stressed or anxious and therefore more <clears throat> present. And it could also mean that they feel more kind and caring towards themselves. And I, I don't mean that I'm teaching people how to be that, but I'm facilitating through movement felt experiences that then, you know, very much become banked in a way in that person's nervous system in, in who they are. I wanted to rewind a bit because uh, you talked about childbirth uh, and how that as I understand it, or the way it was coming across to me, that, you know, you can't think yourself through giving birth. Your body's doing the work, it sounds like, and it's something that it takes over. And I, from ex the limited experience of watching someone give birth to my children, there's a level of effort required, so you are doing something, but your body it felt, the way it looked, the body was taking control. It was doing what it needed to be doing. And so having that experience feels like a very strong, strong way to understand at some point your body takes over you can't think your way through it you'll do what it needs to be done as a man i have no idea what the equivalent could be 
other than I need to go to the loo. And so <laughs> there's this thing of like the intelligence of a female body to know that, okay, this baby's going to come out. It's going to come out this time. And it's all going to generally work together to make that happen. For a man, it's hard to say, okay, how do I relate to that experience of knowing, my, trusting my body to do what it's going, what it needs to do in order to make something beneficial happen? I don't know, Lawrence, because you're quite an instinctive person. Would you say that you know how your body tells you what to do? Well, yeah, I wouldn't compare it to childbirth. <laughs> I don't want to go down that road of having any parallel to that experience. Like you said. Uh, uh, witnessing it and actually that me witnessing it was a uh, a feeling of letting go <laughs> so certainly as a man you know being in that situation i think it's one time where i felt like i have no idea what help i can be in this situation <laughs> other than just being here uh, as support it's interesting when ruth was talking it actually reminded me so i i i mean some of you may know this i had a back injury god probably 25 years ago now. So when in my early 20s, had a bus accident in New Zealand and ended up in hospital, fractured my back in a couple of places and was told I'd have chronic back injury for life pretty much the first day. So it's not a great diagnosis. And when we ended up back in the UK, my parents used to run a pub in Knightsbridge and ended up at this Pilates studio in, in South Kensington. And it was also a ballet studio. And so people like Wayne Steep would come and do their ballet while I was trying to learn this practice of Pilates because it was one of the things I was told would help me with a long-term back injury and lo and behold lots of pregnant women there lots of people there trying to get help get healed by um this practice and yeah it's something i've kept up in different guises to this day now i do it more daily but over the years i've kind of done it more sporadically so in some ways i would say i was forced into tuning in more to my body because of an injury rather than and when you were talking i was thinking i can't think of any situation in my childhood or my upbringing where that was a thing you know we weren't an outdoorsy family we didn't really go on those sort of holidays we never went skiing or outdoors we were always i remember spending a lot of my childhood in snooker clubs and catholic clubs and bars and pubs because my parents ran pubs so yeah my upbringing was definitely more more in my head really and so even though you might say oh yeah i'm more intuitive and more creative to be honest that's only something i've discovered or rediscovered maybe or things i've unlearned later in life rather than something that was always there during my childhood so yeah I've basically learned through a serious injury that I can take control of my body which then helps my mind and helps me understand myself better and how my feelings affect my body and how my body affects my feelings and so that's always with me every day and so I look back at it as a gift in some ways that I'm able to know that and to work with it rather than go oh I'm the victim here everything's bad because this happened to me and now I have to live with this you know, injury. I'm torn now. There's two avenues I want to go down because one one level is like, I'm going to say the trigger, you know, the trigger of pain and how that can influence our state of thinking in the moment. And that could be a, a beneficial trigger because it's saying you slow down or it could be a trigger that then makes you act irrationally maybe because it's not maybe related to this current situation. It's just something that's happening in your body and so how you respond actively. So there's that bit and how maybe getting more into our body can help. And then what Kim just said, <laughs> when I was talking about how, you know, what is it that a man does that kind of just like lets their body take control? And I'm just seeing pleasuring your beloved and the rest of the reproductive process and what that means. Because I was thinking, well, oh yeah. So at some point, 
when you are having that experience you're 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 not thinking you know you're just purely feeling into an experience in terms of the physiological process of birth birthing and you cannot separate that from hormones we're not going to go into hormones but that is an amazing world to go into so many of the hormones that that uh, flood your body during labor and birth flood us in our love making and so that is some sort of an experience so so being in labor doesn't necessarily you know having a, a meeting the, the the intensity and the power of labor it doesn't necessarily mean it's like you know you're feeling in, in necessarily it's it's similar sensations to love making but in terms of where you uh, need to be where the experience brings you you know brings you into the here and the now into this moment and as soon as you start to get more into your head it takes you out it's no yeah. different on that so you know there's a huge uh, honor in experiencing that actually but part of it to be able to be in that place is also to have an understanding of the process of the physiology of what is supportive of what is potentially not going to be supportive is to feel safe to feel in the same way as you're not necessarily going to be you know making love to your beloved in the face of the whole audience it's the same mm. you know and mm. i think I, I really want to go down you know, that route and this is going to be a bizarre analogy but kim's pushing us down this route now <laughs> about- and you've had two hours sleep <laughs> exactly but she talks about letting go. And there's this thing about what you were saying before. is like, if particularly in that, those tender moments, you are thinking too much and your mind is racing, then that's going to actually, that, that's not beneficial in the moment. Thinking too much then is not helpful. It's actually you think you want to be so much into your body and so much present with what's going on. The, to then allow yourself to, to experience the experience, but also to move, be moved by the experience. This is how it's landing for me. And this whole idea, I'm trying to link it to this idea of like, how do I instinctively act in a moment with, and when my brain says, oh, I should do this, I should do that. When there's just actually these, and I'm trying to now link it, it's like, oh yeah, in those moments, the less I think, the better it is. The less I'm trying to work out what to do next, what's going here. It's like no, letting the body just respond that's actually an important aspect of not getting too caught up in the thoughts. That's a really interesting starting point. And of course, through positioning it that way, it, it is very much that, you know, your thinking body, your thinking body, I'm talking about your head, your brain, your, not your brain, but your mind. But that's only part of of you and uh you know i you could also think of your emotional body you could think about you know your physical body you can think about your spiritual body it's all you it's we're all of those things all at the same time all at once always and we break ourselves into bits i mean you know in the wellness industry i hold my hand up you know we're very good at saying work on this muscle work on this muscle strengthen this muscle stretch this muscle but ultimately no muscle works in isolation 
And, you know, even the industry around the core, I'm not going to go too much into it, but we cut ourselves into bits. And what is the core? For many people, people think of the core and they think about their abdominal muscles. Well, that's nothing to do with the core. You know, the core is, is, is actually all of us in a way. And what happens in one part of us is going to impact what happens somewhere else. So this, we're very good at cutting ourselves into bits. So in terms of coming out of the uh, thinking, rational, very often judging, very often critical uh, sort of narrative that we all live with, how can you shift? How can you shift attention? Because it's always going to be there. It's, it's part of us. But it, how do you shift attention so that in a way you turn the volume down on it and you, your, your curiosity, your focus, your presence moves into another part of yourself? I mean, for me, moving and movement connects into all the other parts of who we are. And as a result, I can feel as if I, I, I come home more fully to who I am truly now. The flip side to that is that we are all very habitualized. We're all creatures of habit. We need our habits. Many of our habits have, you know, saved us in times of uh, uh, stress and strain. And, you know, for some of us, you know, trauma or big situations in our lives. And our habits are also quite useful. Because if we didn't have habits, we'd have to constantly be, be thinking, well, how do I roll over and get out of bed this morning? You know, we'd have to, we're completely trying to relearn and learn afresh every step of the way. That's going to be a bit impossible. So we need our habits, but not all of our habits and the way in which we're habitualized serve us in every moment in time. We become very habitualized also in how we think or how we perceive ourselves, or what we believe about ourselves, or we believe about the world or life. So moving and movement and moving with attention and curiosity and playfulness is a real way of shifting, shifting out of some of that so that you can then regroup and land and almost come afresh to a situation that's one way in but just one other piece you talked about pain and of course we're not necessarily going to go down that that road but ultimately our brain likes habits it needs habits in a way and our brain is also just trying to keep us safe so pain a situation of pain is also our brain saying be careful, watch out. But our brain can also not differentiate between a situation of stress where we might be uh, needing to sort of run away from a saber-toothed tiger and a stressful situation where we're, I don't know, stuck in a traffic jam and we've got to pick up our kid from basketball. You know, it, it triggers us in the same way, in a way. So that's where, you know, having ways of, shifting attention to sort of come into another part of the brain at the time to sort of turn the volume down. It's always really helpful. For me, movement is key. Speaking to the hyper-rational side of me, there's this, you know, when you're talking about the stress from being in a traffic jam, trying to get your kid to basketball and the stress of being chased by a tiger, fundamentally, they're the same chemicals going through your body. 
And so there's how, you know, they're, they're the same chemicals trying to send signals to your brain. It's just how your brain interprets them. The other aspect of this is this idea of, I don't know if you've, there's a book called Thinking Fast and Slow by a guy called Daniel Kahneman. And he talks about system one and system two. And they're both different ways of processing information. One's very instinctive, pattern matching. It's based on a set of beliefs or set of experiences in the past that allows you in the moment just to make a sort of a gut decision or a, a quick snap decision. And then the system two, where there's some more slow processing, ponderous, trying to weigh up what's going on. And so this is, on one hand, is like as someone in business, as someone having to make decisions very quickly, maybe around some complex situation, it, w it would be amazing if we could make really great, fast decisions, not based on a past trauma, because you want to get rid of it, or, or like be uh, conditioned behavior, and that then might lead you down a path that isn't beneficial. It's just you're thinking you're in that situation years ago, when in fact it's completely different situation, but you're suddenly responding in exactly the same way as opposed to you're sensing it somehow in the body that, okay, this is the right thing to do. Not because you're aware that there's that feeling, but there's this other feeling like, no, I'm going to go with this because it feels right, not because of a, an unconscious bias or belief. And when you're talking about the movement, I'm curious now, it's like, how do I become more aware about which thing's guiding me? You know, how do I become more aware or more wise to these signals? as opposed to, oh, it feels shit, so I'm not going to do it. Or, oh, it feels shit, but that's telling me I really should do it. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. And, and, and for me, that, that growing that listening is something that happens over time. And it happens very often taking time to experience, to notice, to sense, to feel. And it could be in a completely separate situation. You know, it could be just uh, lying on the floor and rolling around from side to side, which I is essential in my life anyway. But, it, you know, it, because we need those downtimes to listen into things differently and to notice and to uh, discover parts of ourselves in a very different way because as you're saying Carlos you know I think you you can make a decision of course you can make a decision but is it necessarily a decision which is true to you it's true to what you think people might expect from you it's true to what you think you how you ought to be and that's fine and you can make decisions on that basis and particularly if you're aware, that's why you're making those decisions. You know, we all make those choices. It's okay to say, I'm going to do that today because I know that's what they want me to do, even though I feel that I'd rather do something. It's fine, you know, as long as you're making that decision and you're clear as to why you're doing it, it's fine. It's not a wrong decision. But there are other layers of subtlety. And I suppose if we're wanting to sort of grow ourselves you know, in terms of being purpose-led folk in our in our lives, in our work lives, in our personal life, you know, in our intimate life with ourselves. So that does mean another layer of listening has to. Mm -hmm. Lawrence, you know, you know, I think about the decisions we've made in our business and the kind of decisions we're trying to get people to make with our programs. And when people get to the point of like, either analysis paralysis or just too much opportunity, <coughs> oh, too many opportunities to decide from. This whole idea of then 
committing to something but not knowing why i don't know from your experience of just driving the happy startup school in the early days is there anything was there anything there about you tuning into your body or was it purely your brain well there's a couple of things there one one i think is there's often a fear from people of just choosing just committing to something to make a decision itself can feel scary so procrastinating is a big thing which might be helpful at times but also not helpful at other times i think i was talking to someone about this this morning when i think back to when we started there was definitely a lot of feeling that this felt right you know there was a i wouldn't say a knowing because that sounds a bit too uh, lofty but i think there was a yeah there was and when i say gut driven there was a gut decision that was more driven by data but it was more from a body point of view than a head point of view so like i remember we had these discussions and i would have to rationalize it to get it across to you why are we going to do this thing and so i would almost need a different language to, to communicate that i'd be like it's obvious let's do it you know look and then i would have to try and understand myself what was the data that i was using to make that decision and there was data but i hadn't really thought of it in the head way it just felt obvious to me you know and so yes i think there was more of a body feeling but for me it wasn't just intuition it i think it was based on actual data as well as what felt right if that makes sense at all so what i'm hearing is that there was some initial sparking and that Lawrence you were talking about knowing I don't think that's lofty at all. I think knowing it could be, you know, it could be even a sensation of just something lighting up inside of you or a fullness in your chest or just a sense of excitement. I mean, there could be a sense of something feeling like you're almost in the presence of something of awe or something a bit bigger or something that's more expansive. All of those things are, I mean, I'm verbalizing what is also a physical felt sense and then we might think of it as a knowing but ultimately it's coming from somewhere else inside of us now all of the data to back it up is really important it's not about swanging swanning through life but it's also being rooted in the reality of your surroundings your environment Hmm. and yeah i think it's a dance of it all coming together it's a weaving of it all together and having it all why not have it all so the the way i've now post-rationalize Lawrence's behavior. <laughs> Please tell me because I want to know. <laughs> well, I, I always go back to the whole feelings and needs stuff that we talk about every all the time, even in the programs. And the way I'm understanding it, and I'm trying to, I've kind of, I hold on to this, is that feeling of excitement or there was a feeling there, I think, with Lawrence, a feeling of excitement, a feeling of joy, a feeling of uh, I don't know, connection. Uh, well, that, that's for me, it's the need. So this is where I'm trying to get into this feeling and need thing. Because like below each of those things, before below the feeling of excitement, there was like this need for creativity or a need for adventure or a need for maybe it's connection in terms of like, yes, I, I can't, I'm going to get to meet all these people, you know, or it's like, I'm going to get to design this thing and it's going to be so much fun to design that thing and to make something new. And so that, while someone's saying, you know, doing an events business, that's not a particularly profitable thing to do, and it's mm. hard work. And so the head would say, okay, if I broke this down in terms of numbers, it's not going to, it doesn't look particularly great as a direction. But then from the feelings point of view, all of the beneficial feelings are saying, why not? You know, mm. there's, 
it makes complete sense. And so this is this whole thing for me about our work and now why I'm now post-rationalizing why I'm talking to you, Ruth, is <laughs> this thing about how do we get in tune with how something is supposed to feel in our work as opposed just to how something is going to sell or to make impact or to scale, which is very much the brain-led thing. How do we also tune into, okay, if I'm going to do this, what is that experience going to be like for me? Mm. And having that as one of the data signals, as well as the market research and the business model and all the other malarkey that people throw at you when you're doing business. And, and so maybe this conversation is about, okay, how do I feel into things? How do I connect to that rich set of data that isn't, you can't plot on a spreadsheet? The word that comes to me actually is, is tenderness. And uh, it's a word that I've got, I'm getting very interested in and I'm sort of hearing and seeing it in lots of different layers and avenues. But when you bring tenderness, when you're in a state of tenderness, whether it's to yourself or to another or to a, a thing, you show up very differently. You know, you cultivate a very different sense of listening, of feeling, of noticing, of, you know, suddenly your internal rhythm shifts. First of all, we are all tender beings. We are all tender beings. We don't necessarily always agree. We don't necessarily always feel the same things or think the same things. We don't necessarily always like each other. But in our essence, we're all tender beings. And what we bring into the world is, for me, if it's uh, honest and authentic and, uh, and coming from a real place in ourselves, we need to be treating it tenderly. And it's the same in moving and movement. To have those tender movement moments and to explore and to discover and to meet without getting too hooked into a narrative as to why this is happening, you know, why I've been labeled with this, I've been diagnosed with this, therefore, la, 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 la. But actually to meet yourself as you are, where you are in that tender moment, to not try to do as much as you can, to not necessarily push yourself to your end range, to look to see how can I lose effort here? How can I bring less effort? And then you will, in movement terms, very often what you discover is you can do more and it's mm. more sustainable <laughs> and you feel better about yourself. And in the end, you <clears throat> come out feeling more present and that can only then serve your life. And the, the other piece that also I remember I wanted to just touch on, you talked, Carlos, about you know moving very quickly and having to make quick decisions and, you know, so when we've had an experience of exploring slow, and I'm taking this into a movement metaphor, when you slow down and explore slow and small and you lose effort, you can speed up and you can go really fast because you're moving more efficiently because actually more and more of yourself gets involved and the effort gets spread. So it's not one part of your body that's taking most of the strain, but every little part is doing a tiny bit. Spread the <laughs> effort and you move with ease and you can move and react and respond, at, you know, in the moment and take this into, you know, martial arts as well. You know, to be 
in the place where you could at any moment in time shift in any direction. It's the same in life, really. Well, I can yeah. definitely talk to that in terms of martial arts, in terms yeah. of the, it's getting the whole body to move in coordination to generate more power uh, and to be able to be in a state where you can change direction very quickly. What The way I'm translating this now to making decisions within business or within our lives tapping into all the tools that we have you know all of the brain that we have which is also our body not just our heads using that to kind of make the decisions or to take the action i saw craig asking he's made a request here it might be fun to hear your riff on where opening ourselves up to all our body knowing through movement moving can overlap dance with following your joy so there's something around i'm wondering if there's I think you talked a bit to the whole tenderness and I'm thinking about the joy and maybe the, dare I say, the love aspect of this. But is there is there some way, an exercise that we can do to sort of tap into that? Or is there something that you can talk to here? Yeah, just in a few words. Okay, so coming into and having an expression of what feels good, what's enjoyable, what, you know, that something that's enjoyable is going to uh, be cultivating uh, uh, more of a sense of joy. You know, what joy is. And for everybody, it's going to mean something else. You know, there isn't, we're not all going to be joyous in the same situation. Part of joy is just, it's about being in it and steeping ourselves in it, but also know how quickly it, and how easily it is to step out of that. You know, when this, the cogs here start going, and there's, oh, yeah, this is good, but, you know, <laughs> hmm. or oh, what a shame that I've now got to go. And, you know, we're immediately, we immediately sort of almost wipe it out. So coming into a place where we are enjoying what we are feeling in that moment, and it could be, you know, bodily feeling. I mean, that's why I like to get on the floor and roll, because it there's something so, so regulating about rolling and rolling easily and just playfully and also we've all spent most of us a lot of time doing that in our infancy and it's hugely informative it's very very balancing and, and leveling for for all of, of us that's that's one thing and the other thing about you know moving it, it's moving in a way that you like the way it feels that you like the way that it feels not someone else is telling you how you need to move what you need to be feeling but that you like the way it feels take time to to explore that for yourself you know what does that mean we're very good at handing ourselves over to another to tell us what it is we need to be feeling we ought to be thinking and there's a lot of useful layers to that but ultimately it starts here it starts with me and my expression of joy my expression of how i like you know i like the way that it feels is not necessarily lawrence's or your you know it's so, so to okay. have the spaces where that is also very much honoured is important. Shall we do? Shall we do something? Yeah, yeah. Something very simple and basic in sitting. If you are up for you know, having a go at this, it come to sit, and if you can sit uh, towards the edge of your chair, so that you're not leaning back, that would be useful for what we're going to do here. And uh, if you can sit and have 
your feet flat on the floor. And in your sitting, don't try to sit well. Just sit as you are and find what feels comfortable. Yeah, this is a whole other discussion, but we are very much programmed into believing that sitting in a, you know, in one way is the best way and posture has to all be about, you know, being straight and all of that. But that's for another time. So for now, just sit as you are comfortable and, and rest your hands on your legs. You could do this with your eyes closed for a moment. And just notice uh, how your two feet are contacting the floor and, you know, how you sense the floor through one foot. Is that how you sense the floor through your other foot? Are your legs comfortable? Do you need to do something to slightly reorganize your legs? If possible, have both feet flat. Good. And then uh, bring your hand, your attention to your hands and just feel through the palms of your hands your contact with your legs. And would you say that your right hand is resting and touching your right leg or your right thigh exactly as your left? Is there a slight difference there? Is one hand a little more easily accessible to you than the other? And you don't need to look, just what do you sense and feel? There's no right or wrong. And then just notice uh, how you're breathing right now. And again, you know, that's an interesting thing in itself. As soon as we shift your attention to the breath, something might change. You might notice that your breathing gets a little shallow or shy, or you might even find yourself wanting to take a slightly deeper breath. So just notice again, you know, it's not about doing anything, getting it right. Okay. And now open your eyes. And turn to look to your right. So you're going to turn to your right just as far as you can go without straining and then come back to where you started from. And then go again. And this time, as you turn to the right, can you turn and really try not to bring any effort at all? So you're not trying to go as far as you can. How can you turn to look to the right without strain or discomfort anywhere. And what do you see? So just notice how far away you are, what you're looking at. Just remember that place. Cool. And then come back to the middle. Now, bring your hands, rest them on the sides of your face. So you've got your hands somewhere around your cheeks and also the side of your head. Bring your elbows out in front of you. But rest your arms so you're not straining, you're not trying to hold your arms up, but you're just lightly and tenderly making contact, supporting your head, holding your head in your hands. Good. And then from here, you can do this with your eyes closed. Again, just turn to the right slowly and come back to the middle. Okay, so this is just the movement we're exploring. And as you turn, can you move slowly so that as you move, just you're still aware that you're breathing? Are you breathing or are you holding your breath? And you just come back to the middle and you don't need to rush. And when you come back to the front, pause momentarily. And remember, it's not about how far you go. It's not about straining to do anything well. And as you repeat, is there a way as you do this that you could actually be doing less, bringing less 
and feel where you have a sense of that movement, of that turning movement happening right now. Not because you're thinking about it, but just what comes forward, what takes your interest, what takes your attention. And do you feel maybe there's a slight change in how you're making contact uh, with your chair? You might have a sense of one hip slightly moving a little backwards, the other hip moving a little forwards. And if you don't, that's fine. Can your tongue stay soft in your mouth? Yeah, and you just go where you go easily. You don't have to do lots. You know, you can take it very slow and then you can pause. So as you go, you know, where could you do less? Where could you do less? Where could you give up on trying? Nice. Okay, come back to the middle. And then release your arms. Just let your arms come to rest on your legs. And just notice, you know, how do you meet yourself sitting in this moment? Your contact with the chair, your, how your feet find the floor. Maybe you have a different sort of expression through your legs or a different sense of width across your shoulders. Maybe your hands are meeting yourself a little differently. These are just ideas it's, you might feel something very different notice your breathing and then when you're ready open your eyes and again bringing as little effort as possible you're just going to turn to look to your right and as you turn just notice where you can go without any additional effort and what's different what's changed do you have a sense of a, a shift in the quality of the movement? Are you aware of different parts of yourself getting involved in the movement? Maybe you're being able to turn a little more. You're seeing further. Cool. Well, the other thing I think was I was conscious of not doing, which I know I would be doing a lot previously, would be thinking am i doing this right is this is the right way am i going to the right direction am i mm. you know am i following instructions well uh, those are things that you can also those are questions to ask in any situation and in that moment something might suddenly shift something might rest something might open up you know so all of this is relevant in life anyway as soon as you do it, it can feel like i felt my shoulders drop at the end like the start was much more kind of i'm moving very rigidly so just shoulders dropping and feeling, breathing more, uh, more expansively. I think it's fascinating because, yeah, I think a lot of people, us included, struggle with, well, like you said, we always trying to rationalize things and we try and um, ignore feelings if we're not um, sure why we're not doing things, why things aren't happening. And so it feels like a whole journey to understand ourselves better and understand our bodies better and for me, the older I've got, the more I've got in tune to that. But yeah, I think it's a lifelong journey in some ways. Well, that was, that was really wonderful. It was great to be here and to chat and to sort of touch on, on, on some of the things that I'm curious about that, that you know, I, I am exploring in, in my life. I'm, I am well aware that you know, there are things that perhaps, you know, we haven't spoken to. I'd be very happy to continue talking. You know, people can always be in contact with me if there's things you want, you know, you, you feel 
wasn't addressed and that you'd like to go deeper into. Yeah, I, I think the the key thing for me that I'm coming away with is to refocus on awareness and you know even just that act of noticing bits of your body, how we can be habitualized. Well, the way I think about it, I can I can get into the habit of forgetting that the body's there. I'm just like a brain driving this machine and not realizing actually yeah i can feel feet i can feel hands i can feel breath the kind of actions that we just do instinctively which is breathing but we don't realize it's just doing its thing as opposed to us making it happen so i like the idea of swanning around because it's like that we're just effortlessly responding to what's needed without thinking too much about it and part of that exercise is not trying not to think and also part of, for me this whole Friday fireside and having these conversations is trying not to think about oh should I answer this question should I be reading that text should I be doing this where where does it go is more of a case of wherever mm. it leads it leads and if that's to an amazing conclusion so be it if it's a damp squib then <laughs> we won't be here next week <laughs> <laughs> anyway thank you very much Ruth really yeah, appreciate thanks your time did you have any Ooh. where to direct people who want to learn more about oh, yes yeah <laughs> so it's www.ruthpolden.com is where you can find me. That's the best way to get in touch. Thank you for listening to our Happy Entrepreneur podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify and SoundCloud or wherever you found this podcast episode. And if you'd like to learn more about creating a new path for your work and business a path that feels more meaningful more purposeful and more aligned to who you really are then sign up to our newsletter on our website thehappystartupschool.com and you'll receive little nuggets of wisdom stories of experienced entrepreneurs following this more purposeful path and also a little bit of a wittering from myself and Lawrence another useful bits of information and content to keep you inspired, keep you engaged and keep you happy. <laughs>